sparkling water. My name is Iwa Kimeyakson, and I I am the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. Man, the waveform is looking good on the screen. I've done all these, like, whispery episodes now, and it feels good to do one where I'm not whispering. It's, um... I was talking about how there's like this loneliness crisis. That was a good throw. As far as lens wipe wrappers being thrown go, that was a good throw. Um, <clears throat> I was talking about this loneliness crisis, but at the same time, paradoxically, it's hard to be alone. I mean, it's hard to find a place where you can be alone when you want to be alone. I find that interesting. It's like under certain specific things. I don't know. It seems like I give a shit about this more than other people. People rarely understand what I'm saying when I say that I... Like I'm always like, hey, I'm I'm trying to record this podcast, so I kind of need to be alone. And people are just like, oh, it's fine. We'll just be quiet. It's like, bro, it's not the same, bro. <laughs> Sometimes you need to be alone. It's like, bro, I need to sit down and write this novel like... uh People are like, I'll just sit here and be quiet. Oh, glasses wiped. Hearts open, glasses wiped. What is that? Clear, clear eyes, full hearts. There's some, there's some football slogan in there. Um, I did my um, fifth step in the 12-step program. And um, it was a struggle finding a space to be alone. The fourth step is that you sit down and you do an inventory of your fears and your resentments and how you've harmed others. That's the fourth step. You just take a look at it on your own. And then you look at what was your own fault? How can you take responsibility for it yourself? And then the fifth step is that you sit down and share that with God and another person and another human being. And the thing about that is you have to really pick the right person. And then in, in AA, you really just pick your AA sponsor. Um, but the thing about it is that it's supposed to be just the two of you. Because um, it's very, very private. To describe, but now not me, obviously, because my my mental health thing is all about how I'm a exhibitionist. <laughs> but my sponsor doesn't know that, so we were um, we were in the Grass Valley Fellowship Building, and and there's like a four hour break between meetings, and the place is just empty, so we sit there, and he sponsors a lot of people, and he does all the work in there, so we have this big room. And then randomly some lady showed up and she's a secretary of some meeting. So she has keys to the building. So she wanders in and <laughs> it's interesting because the whole point of the program is supposed to be that you're, you become better at just living life and just being a human being in the world and just being at peace and relaxed with shit and better at handling things and just less of a fucking freak that's the point of the program be less of a freak just learn how to like chill out and go with stuff and get some tools for just managing your own curiosities you know your own quirks so my sponsor is just like 
extremely enlightened mid-70s Buddhist teacher. And whatever you ask him, he will like give you this like really sort of profound philosophical answer about how like the unitary nature of consciousness and how the only thing that's real is consciousness. Like that's the answer to every question with him. <laughs> but, but it's funny that <laughs> in spite of all of that, when some woman comes in and like bothers us, he like does not know how to handle it. And he just like sat there all he just sat there all awkward and I was like trying to weigh my options. And I was like, if they knew each other, so I didn't want to wander into something there, so I didn't say anything. But I think maybe you could have talked to her and been like, hey, hey, little mama, how long you think you're going to be in here? You know, have a conversation about it. Instead, we just sat there in silence and the minutes passed on and some old lady was taking the opportunity to go through the coins, the chips. It's like a coin-shaped thing that says like one month or one year. So if you had a year, if you have a year of sobriety, you would get a coin. So so there's this big box of all the different coins. And she was like going through them one by one, <laughs> holding them up in the light really slowly, one by one, like hundreds of coins, just holding them up to the light, turning them over, looking at each coin. Meanwhile, we're just sitting there in silence, and, and my sponsor is like, a fifth step is between a sponsor and a sponsee, so we have to wait in here until she leaves. And we just sat there in complete silence, waiting. She's holding the coins up one by one. And uh, it struck me how he is extremely enlightened, and he has a very strong meditation habit, and I think he spends a long time, a lot of time every single day in a state of deep meditation, but it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows how to handle all kinds of situations. Now, that's no knock on meditation, because I think meditation is, is the answer to everything, you know? Yep. The other thing that was funny with this fifth step is, so I have this, I actually remember talking through it a couple of episodes ago, but just for the people who don't remember, I basically brought up just six different things, two fears, two resentments, and two times I've harmed others that's still weighing on me. And the first paper is resentments. And the first thing on the resentments paper is how I get in. It's weird and it's abstract and it's like the thing that fits into the box the worst, but it just is something that really bothers me in my day-to-day. -day. So it's like a thing I have to talk about. And the first thing is how... It really bothers me when I like disagree with people on what reality is when it comes to just like conspiracies or COVID or the vaccine or whatever. That was the first thing I was going to bring up, how it like bothers me when, when I feel like we don't have any common ground because it fucking bothers me. I have car arguments with people and then for days afterwards, I like just ruminate on that argument and just think of what I should have said and how I could have won the argument and how, like, I just get so resentful towards them and I, like, can't sleep and all this shit. That's what I was going to bring up. And then before even us starting, we're doing a little bit of small talk. And I'm asking him, like, hey, how are you doing, man? You you good? You healthy? And he's, like, tells me how he got sick. And he gets really heated about it. And he, he didn't have access to a COVID test, so he doesn't know if he has COVID. But, like, 
he just it just sort of snowballs into this tangent on like, look, man, it's all fucked, man. And he brought up Fauci and he was like, Fauci's like so involved in the production of this virus. It's like, bro, that's my thing, dude. You're doing my thing. You're doing my thing that bothers me. You're literally bringing up the thing. You're li- re- literally triggering the thing creating the problem that we are trying to solve here making it very awkward for me to have a meta conversation about how well the first part of my fifth step is how it really bothers me when people bring up Fauci and pretend like Fauci had some fucking that Fauci fucking made the COVID-19 virus or whatever SARS-CoV-2 SARS-CoV-2 it's like (laughs) yeah So first of all, yeah, and then, so we were off to a rough start and then some lady came in and, and some lady came in and sat down and whatever. And then we had to um, step outside after just sitting there in silence, waiting for this lady to individually look at each coin back and front. uh, We just stepped outside and it's right next to a highway. So we're like standing next to this highway trying to do a therapy session, just like Full heavy traffic just just rolling through, screaming. But it's a little bit like that. Who's that ancient Greek rhetorical master who would practice speaking while having rocks in his mouth, screaming at the ocean or whatever? Because it's like if you can if you can speak well with rocks in your mouth while screaming at the ocean, then you'll really be able to talk. Because back then they didn't have good, they didn't have microphones and speakers. and uh, It's crazy. It's crazy that they had a developed society with no cords. They didn't have any cords. It's crazy. Probably so bad for your teeth, though, having rocks in your mouth, trying to yell. So bad for your teeth. But if you don't live long enough for that to matter, then just put some rocks in your mouth and you're, you're fine, bro. But so I did my fifth step and it, it was pretty good. And I'm, I'm more familiar. I've done it before. I've done it before and then COVID really fucked it up. And, and I did it over Zoom and it, it kept cutting out and it just didn't, I didn't feel like I had the catharsis of letting all my biggest secrets out to another human being and feeling connected and feeling like weight had been lifted. And I was, I blamed COVID. And then we did this thing in person now. And it's still, it's just hard. It's just hard to find. um, I don't know. It's a little bit hard to just find. We live on top of each other, you know? I mean, we don't have to. You can live out in the forest and then you, it's easy to find a a, a silent room to record a podcast in, but I don't want to live in the middle of the forest, you know? I want to live just outside of town. I want to live just outside of town with my bro Javi and all of his buds. Anyway, so today we're doing three Genki Forest. Now, these people are more than any of the other ones. These people sent me some free samples and then they kept emailing me being like, all right, so you have 24 hours to review our 
our water now and send us the video. And I'm like, bro, this happens on my schedule. I'm not sending you anything. And then they email me back like, okay, thank you. Thanks for getting back to us. It's like, so why did you threaten me just there? It's like, okay, thank you. Just get back to us when it's done. It's like, you just told me how, you just gave me a deadline. Anyway, Lychee Fizzy. They recommended that I make the review funny and maybe have a funny conversation about, do you pronounce it lychee or lychee? Now, joke's on them because I'm going to have a conversation about that and it's not going to be funny. I remember when I worked at Sushi Capitamura, we had this lychee martini and for some reason, just having lived in China and having my pronunciation based on Chinese, I pronounced it lychee. And then there was this super fancy other server there and he pronounced it lychee and I just sort of out-pretentious him for a sec. And he got, he got um, all sensitive about it. And he kept trying to make it a joke and was like, this is America, we pronounce it lychee. And then this one time we were working together and he was like, hey, you want to grab a drink after work? And we were hanging out with him and his girlfriend and then he told me that was his last day and he was quitting. And it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were quitting. This is your last day? And he's like, yeah, but we should be friends. And we exchanged numbers and he kept being t- telling everyone in the bar like, this Swedish guy is so fucking funny. And whatever I said, he was like, you're so fucking funny. And then I was like, bro, I got a new friend. This is awesome. And all we drank late into the night. I thought his girlfriend was really nice. I thought he was really nice. We met all of his friends. We got wasted. And then um, I texted him a bunch of times after that, and he never returned any. He never answered any of my texts, never picked up when I called. So um, we weren't friends. He was just making fun of me. And that's okay. And I'm better for it, you know? It's just a little Seattle story. This is how every single friendship in Seattle goes. And honestly, I don't think it's my fault. I don't think I did anything wrong. I think those people just don't, they're not in a mode of making new friends. I actually think it's not my fault and it's not his fault. They just have a weird cultural curiosity where they say everything as if we are about to become friends. So Genki Forest, it's Japanese for lonely, the lonely, lonely forest. Just to keep you company as you travel through the loneliness crisis of our era. Oh, that smells real good. I do love lychee. Oh, that's actually really nice. It's a little bit too sweet to be called, (laughs) excuse me, sparkling water, but that is just, but it says sparkling water right there. Mm Mm-hmm. So you get one point subtracted there, but it's delicious. It's a little bit like soda, but it's delicious. Very, because the incredible thing about lychee martinis, because lychee martinis are wonderful. The thing about them is that they have this syrupy, thick quality, like lychee juice, just even a little bit in a beverage will make that beverage, give it this beautiful jammy thickness. And here we get, oh, the lychee is so fresh. Wow, that is such a fresh lychee flavor. Wonderful. 
Wonderful. Okay. Mm. I just want to drink the whole thing. So, um... Excuse me, a little bit of a lychee burp there. Um, so we had a funny thing happen at work where these 12 influencers came in. And the first thing that was interesting to me about it was that we found these 12 people. We brought them together. We got them free rooms at our hotel. We bought them a dinner at our restaurant so that they would all, they're all like, they all have millions of followers on Instagram. And the idea is that if we show them something cool, they'll make some cool posts and people will show up. Now, there's no deal where they don't have to promise us to say anything nice. So the way it goes is you give them all this shit for free and then you just have to make sure that they really enjoy it so that they will say something nice. Because there's no guarantee that they will. So when they show up, everyone's stressed out. Managers so stress out because it needs to be perfect. It needs to be completely perfect. So it's like when you order them anything, you send through a ticket, an order to the kitchen to have them make them any food item. You have to say on the ticket, this is for a VIP, so make it look fucking incredible. Make it look fucking special. So everyone's stressed out and everyone needs the timing, everything to be perfect. And everyone needs like every part of service to be perfect. And there's 12 of them. So we broke them up into two tables of six, and then we had two other six tops that night, and we were four servers. So it was like, everyone gets a six top. So I got a VIP table, and this other girl got a VIP table. And then the girl who got the other VIP table, she was like, it's really making me nervous, is what she kept saying. And then she stood by the host stand, and she was like, I'm, she just said it in this weird disembodied way, where she was like, I'm experiencing a really high level of anxiety right now. That's what she said. Um... And then after a while, she was just like, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't feel good. I have to like go away. And she just went to the side room. And it wasn't until hours later that I, that she came back and was like, I actually had a panic attack just there. <laughs> so it's like, fuck. So I was trying to be supportive and be like, oh, I have to blow my nose. Hold on. Sorry. Yeah. So I was trying to be supportive and be like, bro, I mean, if you have a panic attack, it's all good. Like, you know, just. Just let it pass through you and, and no no hard feelings on any, you know, you just go do your thing, you know, it's all good. <sighs> Tell us if there's anything we can do for you, you know? But so that's like the, let me just frame it like that. Like that's how it starts. That's the level of anxiety we're dealing with. And then also let me just mention that the first funny thing was that they're all in their 60s. Like, isn't that interesting that people whose main thing is that they are on Instagram and that they have a lot of followers, those people are usually in their early 20s or late teens. But these people are in their 60s, 12 women in their 60s with millions of followers, which is like a weird window into, you know, that very specific feeling when you stumble upon a new corner of the internet and you realize that in this corner, there's like millions of people. Like, I remember this one time I stumbled upon all these internet forums for people that want to stretch their penises to be bigger. 
penis and penis enlargement forums. And they have these like, it's, it, and when you, you get to a new thing like that, you realize that it's an enormous culture. And there's millions of people that have created these like book length documents of data that they've tried and that they all discuss and disagree with and, and a consensus forms. And it's like this incredible. So like they have these and the penis enlargement forum, they had this thing of like, well, if you're a beginner, they, they, people were like broken into beginners, intermediate and expert. And you should never start, start by doing an expert exercise. You should start by all the beginner exercises and the beginner ex exercises is like to hold your penis over your hand and like pull on your penis or whatever. And now look, I didn't do any of these things and it's fine. I'm just an anthropologist and I'm fascinated with things that are incredibly well fleshed out, no pun intended, enormous culture. Like it's just so fascinating to me. And, and to have these like hundreds of exercises for how you can pull on your penis to make it bigger. And then a, n another stage of hundred other exercises for intermediate users who've mastered all the beginning pulling of your penis to make it long. And also after spending some time on those forums, I'm convinced that it's not real. It does not, you don't really make your penis bigger. You can, by pulling on it the same way every single day, you can definitely make it longer, but you're really just reshaping it so that now it's thinner. It's now just thinner and longer. That's what happens. Or you can pull on it so much that you're creating scar tissue, which is like not your favorite type of tissue in this context. Like just having kind of broken, dead, stiff scar tissue in your dick. Nah, wasn't, that's not so great. <clears throat> you know? Or like when you realize that there are bronies and that millions of grown-ups identify as bronies who just watch My Little Pony all day. And then in the context of this, I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with 12 Instagram influencers in their 60s and I'm just realizing that there's this layer to the internet that I'm completely unfamiliar with. Because I do believe that most of their followers are in that age group too. Maybe it makes sense because maybe people my age have fallen off social media. Like maybe people my age are more fighting in the other direction of trying to get off of it. Whereas maybe people in their 60s just want to feel more connected and they're lonely and, and they they just want to spend more. Maybe they're, yeah. I mean, whatever. There's a lot of everything. So um, anyway. The point is that, um, well, there's two points. And one of them is that it's a new corner of the internet to realize that people in their 60s can be inst Instagram influencers. But the second point is that a funny thing happened where we're all super stressed out because it needs to be perfect. This one lady, I'm going to do one of the six tops of VIPs and this other lady is going to do the other six top. And then she has a panic attack. So I do both of them. So I'm serving all 12 of these VIPs and trying to attend to their tiniest little needs and and they were difficult. They needed a lot of stuff. Now they were it was a very mixed bag, honestly, where because they didn't know each other. They weren't like a group where they all had the same attitude. Some of them were super fucking nice. And some of them were a little bit more high maintenance and a little bit short with me. And and it's all good, you know? It's all good. Um but um 
so I get them some appetizers. I talk through the menu. I like describe all these things. I talk through all the cocktails. I'm like really trying to, cause some of them are food and beverage Instagrammers. So they're paying attention and they want to know. So we, I spend a lot of time on talking through all this stuff and then we get them some apps and then I get entrees ordered for everyone. And I put in this, these big orders of all the entrees everyone's going to have. And then the food starts coming up and they start screaming at me. The kitchen starts screaming at me like, the food needs to go. It can't sit here. And it's like, but it's cold food. And I have to just tidy up the table a little bit so that the food comes down. The food lands on like this really tidy, perfectly set up table. So I made the table, the food for the first table wait just a tiny bit. And then for the second table, I didn't make the food wait at all. I run it out. And then when I check on them, this lady is like, she ordered the pork green chili, which is like this beautiful, hearty, big bowl of green chili with smoked pork shoulder, which is like this rich, fatty cut of meat with like a good amount of smokiness to it. Chef built his own smoker out back. We smoke it all in-house. We buy the whole pig. We break it down, all made from scratch. Beautiful big bowl of food with like an, a big amount of guacamole on there and then crema, like uh, Mexican-style sour cream, drizzled on there. Uh, with some tortillas on the side. So you, you can nibble on the tortilla and eat this chili and it's delicious. But so this lady that ordered that, she, she just points to it and she tells me, bro, this is not, like temperature-wise, this is not hot, dude. This is cold. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Let us take this back. Let us just, let me check in with chef. Let us make you a new one. So I bring it back to the kitchen and he tempts it. And immediately it's like, fuck, this is 110 degrees. You can't serve a stew that's 110 degrees. A chili? That's way too cold. That's just slightly above what we in Swedish call finger temperature. So that's a problem. Immediately. And uh, (laughs) it's like immediately there's this panic where like they throw a new batch of chili into a pot and just heat it over the open flame gas stove top to heat it really quickly and he's stirring and he's stirring and he's blasting the temperature and we're trying to get it really hot and he's making a new one and i'm like you gotta hurry up and he's stirring and i'm like you can't and everyone's screaming and panicking and he's like i can't do it any faster than this and i'm like it needs to happen everyone is already eating out there these are the vips timing is perfect every second counts bro and we're all panicking. Everyone in the kitchen is screaming. And then just to cool off, I just walk out of the kitchen and I'm just walk around, do a lap in the restaurant. And I tell the lady, oh, you know, I'm I'm so, so sorry. We, we checked the temp of it just now. It's absolutely not hot enough. You know, we're making you a new one and we're very sorry. We're just going to do a complete refire here and just build you a perfect, completely fresh one. And it's going to be awesome. And she's like, okay, that's great. You know, she was pretty nice about it. She was the type of nice where you're like, this is not where I complain. If this is not going to work out, I'm complaining in this Instagram post to my 3 million followers. I'm not complaining to your face right here. To your face right here, I'm going to be a little bit short. But she was actually very nice about it. Um, <laughs> so so I go back in the kitchen and it's almost done. And I'm screaming like, you got to hurry up. Everyone else is eating at the table. She's sitting there with no food. I need this pork green chili. Stat, 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 stat. And then finally, Chef Eric <laughs> puts it together and puts it on the pass. Every second counts. He puts it down on the pass, which is this big stainless steel metal surface where food is handed from the line where it's cooked to the, you know, the 
part where the servers stand or whatever, he's passing it over to me. And then randomly, in that moment, Lilith, the line cook, <laughs> has a big plastic cup of ice water. And randomly, she just trips and just pours her ice water on the pork green chili. Like a cartoon. She's poured her ice water over the plate of food that he just made. And everyone in the kitchen is just looking at it happen. And our jaws just fall open. And we just stand and look at it. And it's like, first, there's a second and a half of all of us just like, is this a dream? Is this real? Is this a nightmare? Is this real? Like, how is this happening? And then after that, all of our minds spend a second and a half just thinking like, is there some way to save this? Can we like scoop? Like we don't say anything. We're just, there's just multiple seconds of complete silence where we're all just looking at it. Like first accepting if it's real and then being like, is there a way to just fix it? And then we're all just arriving at the same inevitable conclusion, which is no, there's no way to fix it. She's drinking from water and then she pour that on there. It's been contaminated. And cold. It's cold. And there's ice on it. It's destroyed. So after three seconds of just silence and all of us just computing the same sequence of thoughts, we just start screaming again. And it's like, okay, make a new one. Make a new one. And, and Lilith is just like, okay, I'm just going to go back out and go out back and, and kill myself. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's so dark. That's what she said. It's so fucking funny. Oh, God. So funny. And we're all just screaming and panicking. And I'm like, how is this happening? And then they fired a new one. And well, at that point, it was like, there was this feeling of like all is lost. So I just walked through the restaurant and I just didn't even look at the table of VIPs. Couldn't even look at them. Couldn't even look at them. Had to just. spend two minutes ignoring them. Then I went back in the kitchen, and then it was ready, and I delivered it, and she was nice about it, but then she only ate a couple of bites and asked for the whole thing to go. But, oh, that Lilith. She is a... She's a cartoon character. What can I say? But we love her. It's funny, when I first met her, I thought her and me were flirting, but it's like... That's, and I think maybe she does flirt with me, but it's like, now I realize that she's like super young and I just see her as this kid, which, uh, I mean, she's cool. We're still, we're still buds, you know? It's interesting though. It's interesting how we can have these compartments in our minds for seeing people different ways. Um, another funny thing that happened is that, um, well, chronologically, first, let me mention it like this. My buddy, Ice Boy Plumbing, he had a kid. They, um, gave birth in his living room, in the bathtub. They pulled a clawfoot bathtub into their living room and just gave birth in the living room with no one else there except themselves. And they have an older daughter who's three years old or something. 
And the, the other daughter just kept getting in the water thinking that they were like bathing. She was like, I want to get in the tub. Meanwhile, the mom is like giving birth. And apparently the little kid n didn't panic at any point. Like a human being came out of the mom. And the three-year-old is just sitting there on the end of the tub looking at it happen and not does not freak out. Just like says hello to the new person. <laughs> it's like, oh. And he described it to me as super chill. Just super chill. Like no like annoying super bright lights. Like hospitals are such a bad vibe. Like, like this was just at home and it was chill. Absolutely. No sort of uh, acknowledgement of... You know, infant mortality rates or why you maybe need a bright light and why maybe you need it to not be super chill. Nothing like that. Just like, and hey, you know, more power to you. Like, if you have the mental fortitude to just do that by yourself and pull pull a human being out of your hoo-ha and, and have the whole thing be a chill experience, then, you know, I can't change you. If I could, I would, and I would send you to the hospital, and and I'd feel more safe about that. I'd feel better about it, and I'd, I'd feel like it's better and it's safer for you because I care about you and I don't want anything bad to happen. But if I can't change your mind, then just, you know, you know, go like the wind, you know? Godspeed. And um, so they have this kid, and also, like, they don't live in a city where if something bad happens, they can just pop over to the hospital. They live off the grid. They don't have, they only have solar power at their house. They don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have cell phone service. They have a landline that works sometimes. And you have to drive for like, I don't know. I guess, I mean, there's a hospital in Grass Valley. I don't think people try to give birth in Grass Valley though. So... It's an hour and a half to a real hospital, at least, to Auburn. To Sutter in Auburn, yeah, it's an hour and a half. So it's risque giving birth. Yeah. Anyway, the point of it is that he named his – I talked to him on the phone and he named his daughter Christina. And while we're talking, I'm, I'm saying, that's such a nice name. That's such a nice, normal, all-American, no-hippie bullshit name christina spelled completely normal and he was like yeah named after my mom and that's beautiful and um and then he's like yeah we we did go to a birthing center to learn some stuff and we had a doula involved a little bit and we learned some things from them and at the birthing center they have this big wall where they have names of all the kids that they've helped give birth to and he's like, most of these names on this wall, like you wouldn't even know that they were names. It's just like star constellations you haven't heard of. The word bread crust, ciabatta, you know, you wouldn't even know that they were names of human beings because they're such fucking crazy hippie names. So this next generation is just going to be completely crazy. Now, that's a birthing center. So it's obviously not an, a representative sample of like, it's not a good cross section of society or nothing, but. Those people are out there. So to be a nice Catholic hyphen hippie and to go with a normal name is something I respect. And that's a conversation I had just had with him. And then that same night, as I'm, I had talked to him about that, we were at a, I go to dinner at Serena's with Javi and Javi's girlfriend and Javi's girlfriend's friend. And we're talking about kids a little bit. And 
I ask Javi's girlfriend's friend, like, hey, you, you, you got a kid? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a son. His name is Paxton. And then I do that again where I say, oh, that's such a nice name. Like, that's, like, I got a little bit of a hippie vibe from you, but that's like not like a crazy hippie name. It's kind of like a cool, it's just like a cool, hearty, all-American name that won't, because I think a lot of these hippie names, they won't age very well. They'll become annoying quite quickly. If you go too weird, it's it, it might, I don't know. I don't know. You know? Can I just acknowledge that this judginess I, I'm doing here about names, it's shitty. <laughs> but, but it's just how I come at it, okay? So. <laughs> so. She tells me the name is Paxton, and I say, oh, that's that's such a good, uh, real name, such a good, honest name, like not a fucking crazy, stupid, hippie name. And then the bartender chimes in, and he's like, oh, you should take him to Paxton, whatever gate, Paxton Gate, some store I've never heard of. And she's like, yeah, he's actually named after the same thing that that store is named after. And they go into some conversation that I didn't really understand. But then she spells the name. And she's like, yeah, it's Paxton like that. But but I changed the spelling according to numerology. And she goes into this big hippie thing about how she made the spelling really spiritual. And she spells it out for me. And look, I'm a semi-smart guy. I know all the letters of the English alphabet. If you spell something out for me in my old, my bowl of noodles up here, I can string that together into a word. But this, the way she spelled Paxton out loud to me was such a random word soup of letters. It did start with the letter P, but everything after that was just like completely just absolute word soup and <clears throat> alphabet soup. And I realized that it is a crazy hippie name. And now I've already said that thing of like, I, I've already been like, oh, good thing you didn't name him a stupid hippie name. And then she's like, proceeds to tell us that it is a stupid hippie name. And then it's like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, oh, I'm sorry. That thing I said about how it's not a stupid hippie name. Can we scratch that? Can we pretend like I didn't say that? Oh. But I didn't say that because it's too late. No way to recover from that. Man, I'm just going to keep drinking this delicious lychee fizzy. Yeah, anyway. So, um, let's drink another water. So we're doing three Genki Forests today. Just because. So this one, Plum Passion. Again, Genki Forest is a Chinese brand pretending to be Japanese. It's a bunch of Japanese people making up stuff in English. Plum Passion is not that savvy of a name. Plum? Wow, Plum Plum is weird because, especially as a drink, plum can taste almost leathery. Like when you make it a concentrate, it almost 
it's almost like an, it almost smells like an animal product. It almost smells smoky, leathery, tobacco. Yeah. How is it like that? How it's like a, how is it juicy and smoky at the same time? Oh, how is it like cigarettes? Oh, this tastes like cigarettes. Oof. Ooh, that tastes like like a saddle, like a saddle on a horse, like a sweaty, sweaty horse. That's not something I'm going to be drinking anymore of. So that first one there was a 9 out of 10, and that second one was a 3 out of 10. And that's all I have to say about it. Oh. So, um, multiple episodes have talked about how, like, I'm on this misguided journey of trying to discover cultural differences between people where, in reality, the much more enlightened view is that generalizing between populations is really a sort of lost cause. And you'll, any statement you make will be mostly untrue. Um... But I've been thinking about another one that's like also really OG. It's like a thing I realized a really long time ago that I, that really stuck with me. And I was like, wow, this says so much about the difference between American society and Swedish society. So in Sweden, if you walk through a supermarket, every single product, like more than half of all products will be like, this is only 3% fat. This is only... 1% 1% fat, 11% fat, you know? And then if you wander through an, an American supermarket, on every single product, it's inverted. And it says 97% fat-free, which is like, yeah, I don't know. First time I realized that, I was like, wow, that says, like, first time I saw it, I was literally in America because it's not the kind of thing, no product is sent between borders with that that writing on it. Like, it, you don't, Americans are not sending anything to Sweden that says 97% fat-free and vice versa. So first time I saw it, I was in America and it just felt like there's so much to it because it's like. It's condescending, first of all. The idea that that sounds better. It's condescending in the same way that like 599 is condescending. As if you can trick someone that it's not six bucks by naming it, by pricing it at 599. But it's obviously a little bit less efficient than that because the 599 trope is something that has permeated the entire globe. I've never been to a country where they don't price things like that because it's just such a strong psychological tool where you can get six bucks out of someone much more easily by setting the price at five ninety nine. Because at five ninety nine, you're basically getting six bucks out of them, but the human brain just looks at that first number, which is the five, and then the ninety nine up there in the corner. Potato, tomato. Who's going to notice? Everything's the same. So the 599 thing is everywhere, but the 97% fat-free, instead of just saying 3% fat, 
it's uniquely American. I've never seen it anywhere else. And, um, it's condescending. And it's like, it's like this annoying thing where it just feels like the advertisement people have too much time on their hands and they've just thought about it. They've just been going around in circles, one circle too many. That's how it feels to me. It's like, are you really making this more manipulative at this point? Or are you just kind of going around in circles here? Are we getting anywhere? And, um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. There's this part in my novel where I, where there's like this Chinese business leader talking about how doing this little rant of something I've been thinking about for a long time of how I think in China, people are really, really savvy when they're buying things and really, really not savvy when they're selling things. And I think in America, it's vice versa. It's flipped around. In America, everyone is really, really fucking a little bit too savvy, maybe even when selling things and people are really not savvy when buying things. But the way capitalism works one of those systems is going to work better than the other. It's actually very good for your economy to be really good at selling things and really, really dumb at buying things. Because if you just keep buying the same stupid shit back and forth, the way GDP works is that everyone's going to have food on it. Like everyone's going to be making a bunch of money and the economy is going to be booming. And that's why the American economy almost just bounces back. I think it's all tied into the number 97% fat-free versus, like in China, where everyone is a math whiz. <laughs> so racist. <laughs> so racist. Prove me wrong, though. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, you could be like, oh, that's so racist. Yeah, okay, so go play play poker with a Chinese person then, you know? See how, see how they are calculating probabilities of different poker hands, you know? <laughs> Good luck. Good luck to you. The number of times I've taught a Chinese person poker and then like as soon as they know the rules, they're better than me. <laughs> Happened so many times. I remember I remember playing with Bjorn, me and Bjorn when we were studying in Beijing. I bought like a poker chip set. And it was me and Bjorn and all the exchange students. And then I like just made friends with all these Chinese people because I was the only person living off campus. Me and Ingrid just had an apartment like a couple of blocks north of campus. And I just like befriended all these people in my building because I would just strike up a conversation in the elevator all the time. And I befriended this super, super short guy who was like in finance. He was a futures trader. And I was like, what the fuck is a futures trader? And then I had to Google it. And then I was like, okay, future contracts. And then it's like just this complicated, you know, you short the market, you long the market, you you set up a futures contract on fucking wheat and all these commodities like frozen orange juice concentrate. So he would be like, okay, I go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy $3 million worth of frozen orange juice concentrate three months from now at this specific price. And then I'm going to find someone to go against me on that. Blah, blah, blah. That guy I taught him poker. And then we all played poker. And then he beat all of us immediately as soon as he knew the rules. And I looked at Bjorn and I was like, Bjorn, I need you to understand that Chinese people are just smarter than white people. And in that moment when Bjorn, when Bjorn's chips just 
<laughs> when Bjorn fancied himself being pretty good at poker and having been better than most of the white people at the table. And then a Chinese person is there and his chips are just gravitationally getting away from him and his chips are just being lost and this Chinese person is just winning all of his chips. And Bjorn was like, even the most politically correct little Bjorn there had to be like, yep, <laughs> Chinese people are just smarter than white people. You know, any statement you make about any generalization you make between populations like that, it's going to be mostly untrue. <clears throat> and that's what it is. What was I talking about? Anyway, let's drink another water because that smoky, smoky plum left a really, really nasty, nasty taste in my mouth. So, Genki Forest, third one here. Yogurt refresh. Sparkling water. Zero, zero. It's like checkbox. A box with a checkmark in it. Zero fat. A box with a checkmark in it. Zero sugar. There's no unit. No fat, sugar, or calories. You could just say no calories, and then that means that there's no sugar or fat, but, you know... What? How are there 12 grams of carbohydrates but no calories? Aren't carbohydrates calories? Hmm. I'm not a scientist. Yogurt refresh. This is our first yogurt-flavored sparkling water. Oh, fuck, that's nice. Oh, that's like one of those Japanese things where you get artificial yogurt essence. Yogurt flavorings. Whey protein concentrate. Yeah, whey powder. It's got that whey, but it's actually it actually works. Yeah, it's got, contains whey and milk derivatives from concentrated natural flavorings. It's got erythrol, which is my least favorite sweetener. And whey protein, which is my least favorite protein. But somehow, when you make it yogurty, when you take a sparkling water and pretend like it's yogurty, those are the things you need and it works. It's so almost gross, but it's actually good. And it ruins it a little bit that I looked at the ingredients and I know what it is now because when I took that first sip, I was actually fooled. And it felt like it was a yogurt simulation in my mouth. Like not actual yogurt because it's sparkling water, but it was just like a nice convincing simulation. And now when I've peeked behind the curtain and know that it's erythrol and whey powder, I'm enjoying it a little bit less, but it's still good, dude. I mean, a successful simulation is 8 out of 10. I respect the hustle. That's not my thing, but I respect the hustle. That's an 8 out of 10. Okay. So now, at the tail end of this episode, now that no one is listening anymore, now I'm going to talk about something I shouldn't talk about. <clears throat> this is very difficult to talk about. But I have to, I feel this need to talk about it because I'm upset about it. So I'm going to start totally chronologically the weird way of how this played out, which is that 
it feels related. I read an article on Vulture.com called The Undoing of Joss Whedon. Now, boring recap for everyone who doesn't know who Joss Whedon is. He's the guy who created and directed Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And a lot of other shit. A lot of superhero movies, a lot of big movies, Avengers, Endgame, Avengers, Civil War. Who knows what those movies are called? The big ones. He directed and wrote those big ones. And what's important to understand about him is that he was always viewed as a big, powerful feminist ally. That's all you need to know about Joss Whedon. And then three years ago, I think it started almost with like the woman who plays Wonder Woman or some shit. I could be remembering that wrong. But anyway, he was accused of being shitty. Doing a bunch of shitty things. Cheating on his wife. Coercing women into having sex with him. Having sex with all of his subordinates. Having sex with everyone on the Buffy the Vampire set. All the actresses. Wielding power. Punishing them if they wouldn't have sex with him. Coercing them into having sex with him by saying like, Hey, you get a bigger role or whatever. All that sort of shit. Not, it, I don't know. You can't say all of that shit because there's different types of stuff. There's different types of sexual assault and coercion and abuse of power. And there's different layers to it and there's gradations. And, and um, I don't know. I don't think he raped anyone, but he did some really shitty things. And um, the... He, I think he was accused of it first in 2017 and then more and more women came forward and then it just really fell apart for him and now, and he was like canceled. And then he never did an interview. And then I think this interview is the first interview he's done since he lost everything career wise. Vulture.com, the undoing of Joss Whedon. So <clears throat> you read this and it's interesting. It's interesting as fuck. It tells, it's a perfectly written article. It's so good. It goes through things and it has this really even handed thing of like implicating a lot of different people and implicating so much of our psychology stuff that we all deal with because it's so not helpful to just portray all these culprits as these like truly evil people who are different from everyone else like that's not helpful it's much more helpful to understand that these types of bad actions are things that like a lot of people can end up doing shitty stuff and then it's like when i'm reading it um You know, we're both men and he's five to ten years older than me. So when I read it, I read it as like, it's easy to compare myself to him and to feel like I don't want to be like him. That's an easy read. And um, and then when I interrogate that, I've been thinking about it because when I interrogate, why do I not want to be like him in a way it's superficial and stupid like the most honorable reason for not wanting to be like that and not hurting people's feelings is that it's bad to hurt people's feelings and i think that if i actually got close to any situation of doing something bad hopefully i would see that i would be hurting someone's feelings or like doing something bad and i would not want to do it for that reason for in and of itself that it's just bad to do bad things but when I read it and it's like abstract in my mind, 
when it's more like a theoretical idea and something I'm reading about on the internet, there's like this other reason for not wanting to do it. And it's like this weird, I don't want to do it because I never want anyone to write an article like this about me, which is not a good reason for not wanting to do it, for not wanting to be a bad person and like coercing people into doing things and all this stuff. But, but it's, but the end result is the same. The end result is that you're not going to do it, but yeah. Anyway, so I read that article and then after reading it, I, I wrote just one paragraph of text because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. So that was the first thing. <clears throat> and I thought about that. I thought about like why, what are the different reasons that I experience for not wanting to be a bad person like this and for wanting to be good with consent and for wanting to like not cheat and all these things. And I was like interrogating that in myself and I thought it was interesting just to think about how <clears throat> it's an it's an example, it's a weird example of how narcissism actually can play out and help us here. Because in America, everyone walks around, everyone's super narcissistic and, and we have this like social media culture where everyone feels like, oh, I'm about to be super famous and this thing I'm going to do now is going to go viral this next Facebook post here is going to go viral. This next tweet's going to go viral and I'm going to be really famous. And then like this, this narcissist thing of believing that you're going to be famous and how that narcissist thing might keep a lot of people in check, hopefully. Because, because you feel like if I'm going to be famous next month, then I better never have done anything. I better not do this bad thing here because then people find out that I do this bad thing and then I get canceled. And it's like the fact that we all think that we're going to be famous a month from now is um, might work out in our favor here, but but it's probably not true. It probably doesn't work like that. People just I don't know what works. What works in terms of what makes what makes some. Men with power act with integrity and not abuse that power. That's a question I wonder about. Oh, because the thing that happened is that I read that article and I wrote a paragraph of text about it because I was going to talk about it on the podcast. And then the next day, there's this place I go to. And at the place where I go, a man had been fired the next day for an impropriety with a subordinate. And it's very hard for me to talk about because it's like no one involved wants me to talk about it probably, you know? And it's not really my story to tell, but, <clears throat> but uh, he was fired and then the next day at midnight, he called me drunk and we talked for two and a half hours and that part is my story to tell. And, and he sounded guilty. He sounded like he was feeling guilty, but not in the... <clears throat> he sounded like he felt guilty in the sense that he'd fucked up his career and he fucked up his life or, and he fucked up things for his family. That's... He sounded like he was, it was really weighing on him how his actions had, 
fucked up things for his family. Because, like, when you get fired, your kids kind of don't get everything, maybe. And, you know, you put everything at risk for your kids. But then also, he was expressing this extreme victimhood feeling to me. And he said many things that were incredible red flags that I didn't like, you know. And I wish I could talk about all this openly, but it's very sensitive. And <clears throat> he was accused of doing something, and I, honestly, I don't even know what the accusation is. I just know that it was bad enough for someone to lose their job. And then I just know that his defense at one point was... The same thing that Donald Trump said, which is like, bro, I wouldn't do anything to that girl because she's not hot enough. Have you seen the girls I hook up with? They're hotter. And in the big library of bad defenses, that's like not a good one. But I just had his version of the story and I listened to it and he was upset and I there were things that I could have said to him there where he was like not saying things right, not he didn't have the right attitude, and I could have shit on him, but he just lost his job and he's lost everything and he was wasted. More than anything, it's because he was wasted. So I just felt like this is not the time for me to preach at this man because like he's just drunk, like he's just drunk and sad, like he didn't, he's not going to be able to absorb any of this now. But maybe I'm just a coward. Maybe I'm just a coward and maybe I should have preached at him, you know, because I kind of just went with it and was like, yeah, I'm sorry, bro. Because he kept talking about like, I wish there was a tribunal where I could like defend myself. There's no tribunal where I could defend myself. And it's like, but what would you say, bro? And like, you didn't do something. And the thing... <clears throat> The other thing, just as a meta observation that I didn't like was like, he made all these like super definitive statements. Like, like I know, I know I didn't make anyone uncomfortable. I didn't do anything to make anyone uncomfortable. And it's like, bro, anyone who listens to this podcast know that I'm obsessed with how fallible we are and how our own understanding of our own world is fallible and our own memories are fallible and everything is something that you should be humble about and question. Like you don't know anything for sure. And you think you can say something for sure about how your actions make other people feel? It's a very dubious statement saying that you know that you didn't make anyone uncomfortable incredibly dubious and it's just a red flag to have that attitude and i didn't like that but i didn't say that and then at 2 30 a.m we hung up and and then i sat with this information and this story and, and no no i don't know i sat with it and i felt bad about it and yeah and then talking to this other girl and we she asked me what i knew and i just told her like one sentence what the story was and she said she wasn't surprised and i was like whoa you're not surprised because if she's not surprised then that means that <clears throat> there was ways of knowing things and 
body language cues and how people act and how people are. And, and it means I didn't see everything and it means I didn't understand everything very well. And, and that made me feel very disappointed in myself because like, yeah. Made me feel disappointed in myself. Because I think it's important for all of us as a culture to be good about this stuff and to create a culture where it's, we trust each other to be honest about stuff. And if someone feels bad, they should feel comfortable enough to say that to each other and to me. And I want to be a person that people can like talk to to feel bad, better about stuff. And then we also need to tell people who are liable to be inappropriate that they need to sit with, they need to think about how they're behaving. And I don't know how to say that to someone. And as a culture, we're not good at teaching each other to, we're just, the, where the Me Too movement is, is just, it's just a bunch of shitting on. It's just a bunch of anger and shitting on people who fucked everything up. And it's like, yes, those people need to be punished and they need to be punished harder than they are being punished because just losing your job and your career, which is kind of how we do it these days. It's like, that's not really that. It's not really good enough. It should be punished more than that. But, <clears throat> but we also just need to learn better how to like, how do we make these things not happen by like talking to each other and like, <clears throat> I think it's really up to men to like tell other men that like, I don't think you should act like that. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should say that. I don't think you should think about that person like that. But we're so bad at like, we probably have, I don't know. There's probably this weird thing where like, there's this multiple personality thing going on where, <clears throat> Men who do shitty things are so in denial about it that they, when talking to other men, they like just go to profound lengths to hide it because they're hiding it even from themselves. And then when they're around women, they just act totally different. But then, you know, more time passed and then I talked to this other girl and then She's like, where's that guy? And I was like, yeah, he, he lost his job because of an impropriety or an accusation or something. And I don't even know what it is. It's very vague, but he lost his job. And, and then she's like, oh, yeah. Then she goes, yeah, I never told anyone this, but like he did something really fucked up to me. And she's my bro, so we, like, had a, a little bit of a heart-to-heart, -heart, and she kind of, like, told me this thing that apparently she hadn't told anyone, and it was, like, fucked up, and, you know, just, like, a little bit fucked up, you know? A little bit when you push on someone a little bit and kind of, like, take something that they, that you don't want them to take, like, not, you know... I don't know. 
And that made me feel really bad. Because for some reason up until that moment, it hadn't totally dawned on me how this is not like a thing where there's two sides to the story and he's giving me his side and like, he's like, oh yeah, it's just made up and it's just an accusation. I wish just an accusation and you lose your job and it's like, but it's like, oh, if there's an accusation, then there's probably, for every accusation, there's probably 99 women who just like don't. Don't even say anything. Because that's something that I really would like us to profoundly accept as a culture. And it's so hard to accept, like even for me, that we really need to accept this thing that like any woman who says anything, who accuses a man of anything, there are so many reasons not to for her. It's so awkward to say things out loud. We immediately become the victim of like this incredible, incredibly uncomfortable scrutinizing gaze. And we have to suddenly be the victim of like this, all this scrutiny and all this awkward disbelieving of what you're saying and people trying to pick it apart and people trying to say like, oh, are you just trying to get something here? And there's so much shitty stuff that you have to endure. So it's like the idea that any woman makes anything up is pretty much just absurd. Like, and I'm certain that it has happened at some point in the universe, in some time, in some era, in some place, that some woman just made up a rape accusation. Sure, you know? But it almost doesn't happen. And it's just so not what's happening in this day and age. You know? And then I watched that Cosby documentary, We Need to Talk About Cosby, on Showtime. It's so good. It's like four long episodes. And it's like, did I talk about that on the last episode? Maybe I did. Yeah. And it made me cry a bunch. And yeah, I talked about it the last episode because I watched the first two. And then, then after that, I watched two more, the last two episodes. And they made me cry so much. And I just made me feel so bad. And it's like, and the thing about the Cosby thing is like, it's the, one of the reactions to the accusers was like, <clears throat> that they brought up the, Emmett Till thing that they were like Bill Cosby's just getting Emmett Tilled because like in the 50s or whatever in the 60s it wasn't that long ago it's a story that seems like it should be from like the 1800s but at some point in the 50s or 60s the story with Emmett Till was just like he was a very young I think he was like 13 like this black kid who like whistled at a white woman or did something said one flirtatious thing or something we don't know exactly what he said there's different accounts and then she didn't like it or someone saw it. It wasn't like as a, as a, as a white town, the white town came together and was like, that's not going to stand, whatever that was. And then we don't know what it was. And it was probably nothing or something very small. And then they killed him, you know, and that was. Maybe that was a story of like white men feeling insecure and feeling like, 
a black man was trying to take something from them. by trying to take a white woman and it's like this very racial thing where like the white majority punishes the black minority and this like incredibly painful thing and it's like this kid this child is murdered by everyone in this lynch mob and it's like horrible you know and then when Bill Cosby was accused by some women, most of those first couple of women were white, and then... And then people were like, Bill Cosby's just getting Emmett Till that's just made, made up. And the, the documentary really goes into a couple of men that really struggled to believe the accusers. And it's like such a painful corner of the story because it's so true and it's so damaging and difficult that it is so difficult to believe accusers and I wish it wasn't like that I wish we just believe I wish it was e oh god it's just so I don't know it's like <clears throat> we have these simplistic understandings of people and we're familiar with a person a man and we have a, an, an interpretation of him and it's like somewhere between good and sort of good. And then new information is presented that goes against that. And it's just like hard for us to accept that dissonance and to, to be like, fuck, I guess that guy's a bad guy. And then I had this thing where this girl told me that this dude lost his job or whatever had done like a thing that she wasn't really comfortable with. She said it was, she's, the word she used was like, yeah, it was a little fucked up what he did. And she said the whole, the mood was kind of rapey. Those are the words she used. And, um, that made me so fucking mad because it's like, he called me and he was a victim and he used me to feel better because he felt guilty and he felt guilty about having fucked up his career and he felt guilty for his kids and he didn't feel guilty at all about the bad shit he'd done to women and he wanted to talk to me to make him feel better about the guilt he felt towards like himself and he used me and I went along with it and I made him feel better by being like oh bro it's not fair what's happening to you and like I said shit like that oh and I'm so upset at, like, myself and him for, for, like, me having that confused early phone call before I had all the information where I went along with it and, and sort of hemmed and hawed and was like, huh, well, that's weird. And I didn't make strong statements and I should have fucking... If there's an accusation, it's always true. It's the problem. If there's an accusation, and it's crazy, it really weighs on me. And that's all I can say about it because it's so fucked up, all of it. I don't know. <clears throat> I love you guys, and that's today's episode. 
Is that right? Do I end the episode there? Fuck. It's so hard. It's so hard and it makes me so mad. But I have learned a lot of things from it where I feel like one of the things is like, if anyone ever accused me of anything, of like making them uncomfortable or anything, I know just from having thought about it a lot that the necessary first reaction is to react with humility and to just be like, I'm sorry, tell me more. I didn't mean to make anyone uncomfortable. Please explain to me how I made someone uncomfortable so that I can never do that again. But maybe the paradox is that people who make, who do truly bad things, they, they don't give a shit about making people uncomfortable. You know, the other thing that I thought about, yeah, the episode is apparently not over because I had one more thing I thought about this. The other thing is like, there's this thing where when I was reading the Joss Whedon story, he said this one thing that really stuck with me that really resonated with how I remember thinking about intergender relationships and being attracted to girls and stuff. How I remember thinking about it when I was like 12 and 13 and being a loser at 13. That he said, Joss Whedon, all the women are fawning over him because he's created this immensely popular television show and he's a showrunner and he's like one of the most successful showrunners ever because he's got multi, he's got all these different shows going at the same time, Dragonfly and Buffy and whatever. And all the women are really into him and he takes advantage of it and has sex with all the women because they are fans, even though he's married and he describes that at the time, the way it felt was that he was like, if I don't have sex with all these women, I will regret it for the rest of my life. And I thought that was so colorful of a description because what that really describes is this sort of like loser mentality of like, there's this incredible scarcity and there's this incredible like, it's so difficult to get what you want from the gender that you're attracted to. That if it's, if there's ever any way you can do, get anything that you want. Even if you have to coerce, even if you have to break some rules, even if you have to lie and cheat a little bit, just do it because you have to be able to, you have to try to get this thing that you want. It's like this, it, there, it's so many shitty, toxic paradigms rolled into one of like, it's the, it's the thing of one, men are taking something from women that they want to take from women. And that it's like this zero sum thing of like for men to get something, women have to lose something. It's like that toxic way of looking at it. And also this toxic way of like, I'm such a loser and I hate myself so much that no one is ever going to be with me voluntarily and I'll never get enough. So if there's any, if there's any possibility for me riding high on this, 
on the crest of this wave of being popular in this moment, if I can get this woman to like have sex with me here when I'm running a TV show, then I have to take advantage of that. And it resonates with me in the sense that like, I remember being 12 or 13 and I think I fucking talked about this on the last episode, even though it's such a weird, random, very old story, but I talked about how like when I was super young and when I was in my first relationship, we haven't even had, even had sex. There was nothing like that. We were very young. We would just make out and watch TV and listen to Kent, which is a, a, a Swedish rock band with emo lyrics. So this one time I, I have a girlfriend and I'm at this party and this other girl is like, puts her legs on my legs and seems like she's into me. And even though I had a girlfriend, I just had this like loser mentality where I was like, Oh my God, if this other girl here wants to make out with me, I just have to do it because like, what if this is my only opportunity to make out with a different girl? And then afterwards it blew up in my face and everyone found out and the, and people got sad. And I realized that you can't live your life like that because people's feelings get hurt and people's feelings matter. And I had this sort of moment of growth where I just like realized what we have to really pay attention to and what, what matters and how we can't be shitty people because it's bad and people, and then you feel bad later on because you hurt someone's feelings and then you feel bad and it's just, everyone just feels bad later on and you can't just go with it in the moment because this is not the only moment tomorrow. There will be more moments and those will be bad. So in a lot of this, I think that's, I don't know. It's not all the same, you know, not everyone who's like rapey and shitty and everyone, it's not the same. Not everyone does it for the same reasons. I think a bunch of frat boys who have their own type of rape culture do it in a totally different way where it's like, it's coming from a totally different paradigm and from a different place and it's different. But, but the Joss Whedon story is this thing of like, it's like this incel thing of being ultimately feeling like a loser and feeling that there's, there's this scarcity <clears throat> and that scarcity makes you disregard norms and makes you disregard how you shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, Joss, we'd never had that moment than I had when I was 14, where I realized that if you do this shitty thing, people's feelings get hurt. And I don't think it's because Joss, we'd never saw anyone's feelings get hurt. I think it's just, I don't know. <sighs> what if we could package it, you know? What if we could have something like an asthma inhaler and you like hit the asthma inhaler and you like realize how you shouldn't be shitty to people. And like, if you feel like you're slipping into being a sociopath, you can like hit this inhaler and then it like sinks upwards into your brain, sinks backwards, sinks upward. And you like realize that you shouldn't be a shitty person. I don't think I'm getting closer to an answer. I don't think I'm getting closer to an answer. Yeah. I don't know.
whatever. I just want everyone to be good to each other. But it's also, you know, it's also like, it's also like, I, I mean, I'm also a dude and it's like, <clears throat> it's not like I don't understand the urge to want to hook up with a bunch of women. It's just that, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm getting anywhere. Ninety-seven percent fat-free. <laughs> it's like it's like if I posted on every episode, like forty-three percent of this episode is not boring. Forty-three <laughs> percent, fifty-seven percent of the episode is boring, but forty-three percent of this episode is is boring-free. I love you guys and thank you for listening to this long ass episode.